This is the Future of Agriculture podcast, the show that explores the people, companies, and ideas shaping the future of agribusiness. If you're curious about innovations in ag tech, rural entrepreneurship, ag sustainability, or food security, this is the show for you. Let's get started. Hello and how's it going? Thanks so much for downloading this episode of the Future of Agriculture podcast. My name is Tim Hamrich. It's my pleasure to bring you these stories every week of the farmers, the founders, the innovators and the investors, the people who are shaping the future of the agriculture industry. Uh, This show is a part of the Farm and Rural Ag Network. So if you love farm blogs and vlogs and podcasts like this one, head over to Farm Rural Ag and check that out. Well, top of mind for me here lately, and you've probably heard this on previous episodes of the podcast, I've I've sort of started to allude allude to it is, you know, we spend so much time on this show and elsewhere in the industry talking about uh, technology and innovations to make agriculture more efficient, which which don't get me wrong, is very, very, very important. But if we get to this place where agriculture is extremely efficient, but yet farmers still struggle to make a profit, Have we really got anywhere? I mean, part of sustainability and probably top of the list for sustainability has to be profitability. You have to be able to sustain yourself as a business. And so as the farm economy has sort of taken a turn for the worse here in recent years, um, it has created these rumblings of people talking about the 1980s. Uh, I wasn't around in agriculture in the 80s, so I have zero firsthand experience of what that was like. And I wanted to go out and find out more. You know, are we in a period of time that reminds uh, people of the 80s who experienced both? And I was very, very lucky enough to partner uh, with Granular, who uh, you may remember I partnered with for a few episodes earlier this year, to find a farming operation, a farm owner who could help us answer these questions. And along with that, uh, to answer questions related to sort of farm succession. So what are the risks in a volatile business like farming and what can be done to manage those risks when it comes to legacy and when it comes to succession and when it comes to making sure that the operation um, that has been around for generation stays around, even when we're having a hard time in the farm economy. So all those questions are going to get answered here today with some fantastic guests. We have on the show Glenn and Jason Newcomer uh, of Newcomer Farms in Bryan, Ohio. That's the northwest part of Ohio. If you're on Twitter and active on Ag Twitter, you'll recognize the name uh, at Glenn underscore Newcomer. Uh, It's very, very active on Ag Twitter and just a a wealth of information on farming. You're going to hear about how they've diversified themselves and how that has helped uh, Glenn bring Jason back to the farm and help them during this time of uh, challenging farm profitability. We're also going to talk specifically about is this or is this not like the 1980s? I think there's a ton of value in here and all of us in agriculture should strive to understand what's happening at the farm level and you're going to get a ton of that information on today's show. Here's my interview with Glenn and Jason Newcomer. The Newcomer uh farming operation is uh, is now entering its sixth generation. Um, we live on the homestead that was uh, settled by my great-great-grandfather directly after the Civil War. And through the generations, even though many families lived on the farm, our specific family is the one that is still operating that farm today. Um, we've, we have um, a little bit of diversification in our operation. 
besides growing corn and soybeans, uh, we grow seed for Pioneer, and we have a crop insurance agency, and we also um, have a Pioneer agency that we sell seed to farmers in our area. And so um, that diversity is is helping us during uh, this type of a economic environment that we're working in today. And we have a handful of people that work for us that as part of our team, each one of them have a strong role and a specific job to do. And we, we rely very heavily on them. And I'm really fascinated by the history because, I mean, you talk about going back to right after the Civil War. Um, how well documented uh, is that history? I mean, do you know quite a bit about uh, your ancestors that first started the farming operation? And has that been sort of passed along? Yes, actually, uh, my, my farm office that's located uh, a couple hundred yards from the house, it's kind of like a little bit of a mini museum in that we've been able to retain many of the artifacts that was passed down through the generations. And I have some of those um, pieces displayed on the wall. Actually, we have a document that um, shows the actual original farm deed to the farm that was uh, purchased on April the 17th in 1866. So we know to the day of when the farm became, became a newcomer farm. And the, we have some antique pictures from the um, turn of the century, the last century of uh, the original family, and just, just some real artifacts of, that were passed down through the generations. And so, sir, there are times that I do share a little bit of history behind all those artifacts. That's amazing. What, can you just share one artifact that maybe is your favorite other than the deed, which sounds amazing? Um, probably the, there is a mallet that I have under a piece of glass that was uh, handmade that was used to drive the wooden pins in the wooden structured barn that still stands on the farm today. Hmm. That is so cool. So cool. Yeah. I, I mean, I wish that my, you know, previous generations of, uh, of my family had kind of saved some of uh, the history. And of course, you don't think about it, right? I, I'm not sitting here thinking about, oh, five generations from now, I want my, uh, you know, and I want them to look back and, and see this desk I'm sitting at. But uh, it, it really is cool whenever you're able to save that stuff. Now, now Jason, for you, um, had you all always felt the draw to come back to make this farming operation go into the sixth generation? Or when did you know you wanted to come back to the farm? Well, I, I've always kind of thought that I'd come back and, you know, work on the farm, work with dad. But um, when I first started college, I went to I went into business management as my major. and then. Halfway through my college career, I decided I wanted to do agricultural business, and I went to the University of Northwestern Ohio and got an agribusiness degree there, and came back and have been working for, have been working with that ever since. So, yeah, I've I've always been interested in like business and science and technology and how it all integrates into agriculture, and just always kind of fascinated me. And yeah, I've always looked up to my dad, working hard out in the fields and working hard out in the office. And and I think it's great that you all have, ha, you're, you're such a diversified operation right now. And, and I, I want to get into more of the economics later, but, but, but before we do, uh, can you just paint us a picture a little bit, either Glenn or Jason, either one of you uh, of, of what the farming operation looked like generations ago and, and what it looks like today? Well, um, you know, when I came back to the operation um, after college, you know, we were a very typical farm in our area. Uh, back in the 
in the early 80s, we were farming about 600 acres of ground. We had cattle and hogs, and it was a very typical farm at that time. Um, at that time, all we had was the diversity in our operation was just having some livestock in addition to the crops. And it was just my father and my grandfather operating the farm at that time. Uh, since that time, we've, we've really expanded our acreage. And we're working on some partnerships now with some other farmers. And the, the operations now, I have um, six different entities that are managed uh, from a tax standpoint, I guess. And so the diversity of our operation has expanded. We have employees now. And um, it, we have a lot of work that goes on. And, and there's enough work there to keep that many people employed. And I know a lot of people are, are drawing uh, parallels between what's happening now in the farm economy and maybe what the farm economy looked like back in the 80s during that time that you just described. Could, could you maybe just, um, I guess a good place to start with that conversation, though, is uh, for those who aren't farmers or, or aren't, um, you know, typically uh, interacting with people at a farm level, what's going on today with the farm economy? Well, I think so many times people think that the ag economy is strong. And from a historic perspective, yes, the when you look at the output and the volume and the, the record yields and from the production side of the equation, we have, have made great strides over the last 20, 30 years. Um, some of the production records that we're seeing, they're, they're probably unheard of or unimaginable back then. But at the same time, when you look at the economics and you look at the um, the margins that farmers are achieving today, uh, we're in a pinched, um, pinched economy right now. Um, I know a few years back when um, grain markets were strong, when it was more heavily driven and we had stronger exports, um, we were in a, in a demand-driven market. And, and that because of that demand, we had some great uh, market prices. But since that time, there have been a lot of events that have, have occurred that's, that's pulled that down. Um, Interest rates have changed, input costs have changed, machinery costs have changed, land costs have, have escalated. And so all of those affect the, the bottom line. And therefore, you know, when you have pinched margins, um, that's, that's, that makes it more difficult for everyone to operate. And so I think a lot of people are looking in many different directions of what that solution is going to be or what, what recourse we have to become more profitable again as we look forward. And uh, it sounds like what's causing that pinch mostly is kind of the, the lack of demand from things like exports and then, of course, the in increase in costs. Um, it, you know, at some point, if you're having negative margin, it, it, it almost becomes more more acreage doesn't it actually gets you further away from profitability that then uh, than actually becomes more profitable. Is that true or am I looking at that the wrong way? Absolutely. The, um, to me, use a simple metaphor, the, uh, the bigger you are, the harder you fall. Hmm. Um, it's like a big pendulum. When, when profits are, are good, you can make a tremendous amount of money. But when times get bad, you can lose a lot of money. Mm -hmm. and so what I think is what's really the greatest concern right now is that many farmers, when they're looking at their, their working capital or their current ratio on their, balance, on their operating statements, there's been a drawdown on that. And when that happens, Banks become more concerned, and um, it just makes um, makes more, a lot more people concerned about uh, the environment that we're working in. And so, 
um, you know, economics are such that, that you have to stay profitable and we always have to find ways to become more efficient and more profitable. And uh, I, I think that list is getting shorter all the time of, of things that we can look for. So it's through better management and making better decisions that we, we strive to be, be more profitable and, and more efficient in our operation. Now you you farmed back in the eighties, and whenever the farm economy uh, has has a bit of a downturn, everybody uh, points back to the, the the farm crisis of the nineteen eighties. Um, was were the issues back then similar to the issues that you're encountering now, as far as the demand fall, falling off um, and then the expenses continuing to rise? There are some parallel similarities between what we're going through today and the eighties, but at the same time, it's it's totally different. Um, in the 80s, we had extremely high interest rates, uh, interest rates in the teens. Um, that, it, that made it very difficult to make any type of a margin when um, a high percentage of your margin was going just to pay the interest on operating or any type of long-term debt. Mm. When we looked at the, the grain prices, uh, if you take the value of money and go back, just say, 30 years or 35 years ago, um, you can look at our grain prices today and say, yeah, actually, they may be even more depressed than what they were then. However, when you look at the changes in technology and what we have done to become more efficient, um, we we didn't raise 250 bushel corn back in the 80s. We did not have soybeans yielding in the 70s back in the 80s. Um, technology is allowing us to, to back, I mean, I, I just for a fact on our operation, uh, back then, a, a typical day for us was planting 50, 60 acres, maybe 70 if you had a good day. And now today we're doing 10 times that. We're, we're, if we get our, our machines rolling, uh, it's not uncommon for us to be putting out six, 700 acres of crops a day. And so from an efficiency standpoint, we are, we are producing so much more per person on a per day or on a per, per hour basis that we've gained our efficiency through through production means. Our margins are still tight, but at the same time, um, the de- I, I just see there's no there's just no comparison to to what we were going through then. We were in a survival mode in the '80s when um, you 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 questioned every every dime that you spent. I know this sounds silly, but I remember go, going to a farm auction in in 1986 and because parts were expensive, I bought a used five bottom plow for $300. And I was afraid to tell my father that I spent that money. And um, somehow he understood that, well, we could use the parts off of that to replace the other parts in the plow that we currently had. And I was a way of trying to just be efficient. Um, in today's market, we don't see the sheriff sales, the auction signs, the, 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 uh, the fire sales, occurring like we did in the 80s. Um, it, we're in a total different environment. Um, we're not anywhere close to the 80s. Even though it's, it's a tough time right now, it's, it's not like it was back then. And you all have diversified quite a bit. It would seem ahead of sort of the downturn in the farm economy. Did you did you see this coming? Is that why you wanted to add the the crop insurance and the seed and and uh, some of the the different businesses that you're into now? I think you said six different well, entities. Uh, did, well, was that in preparation for something like this? Actually, um, I've been a I've worked with Pioneer for 35 years now. When I first got out of college, um, I, I I became a sales rep for Pioneer. 
And uh, the crop insurance came in in 2001. This is another way of diversifying. And so, you know, we have a pretty, I, I guess I was more diversified first before we, we expanded the farming operation. And so I don't know what comes first, the chicken or the egg, but because of, of what I did when I was younger and the preparations and the extra time and work that I put into that, um, that's what allowed us to grow and, and to be where we are today. And Jason, did, did that diversification play into to your decision to come back to the farm? Did that, did that entice you more to want to come back and help out because there were some other things going on? Or are you really most excited about the, the farming aspect? I'm more excited about the farming aspect. I don't do any of the crop insurance or seed sales yet, but um, I'm looking for new ways to kind of diversify the farming operation and see how I can progress that. Great. And when, when did you come back full time? Uh, four years ago, 2015. Okay. So uh, how did the economics look then versus now as far as is it, has it become increasingly more difficult and how has your perspective on farming changed since, since doing this full time for four years? Well, things looked a lot better back then as far as crop prices and everything else, but I th- we're kind of seeing a downtrend in that right now. Now, w- how old were, were you when you came back versus Glenn when, when, when you came back to the farm full time? Well, I was 22 years old when I graduated and came back. And I came back when I was um, 23 years old, actually. Um, for, for my situation, I worked off the farm as a, at a um, local elevator for three years. And then after I was married, I just came back to the farm. I wanted to make that sacrifice and make that commitment. And um, it worked out well. And would it be, would it be a challenge right now if you, if you hadn't uh, kind of done the diver- gone the diversification route to support both of you on the farm? Oh, absolutely. Um, I mean, we would not have um, the, the team or the crew of people working around here if it wasn't for that diversification. Of course, there'd be a lot less work, but at the same time, uh, for the acreage we're farming and stuff, um, we wouldn't be able to get it done without, without that, that help. And so I give a lot of credit to, to everyone who, who works with us around here, but it's been a, it's been a, um, a process to grow and to grow at the right rate at the right time and putting the right people in place. So uh, there has been a, a plan laid out of, of how we wanted to grow. One thing that amazes me about, uh, you know, just kind of about the modern farm business is, is how complex it is. I mean, with, with six entities and it's, it's still very much a family business, family owned, family run. Uh, but, but from, from a business perspective, it's, it's really complex. Uh, so I want to talk a little bit about sort of succession because it is a family business. Uh, how are you both thinking about and approaching sort of succession in, in your operation? Well, from my perspective, um, I'm I'm trying to follow a pattern that was set down by my father and my grandfather because um, they they passed the baton, so to speak, to me when I was younger. Uh, I was in my 30s when um, I was pretty much managing the operation. And, you know, 10 years from now, I can clearly see Jason will be running the show at that time. At least that's, that's my plans at this time. Um, it was always an advantage knowing that I had a, I want to say that I had a backup plan, but my father was the backup plan if, I, if something went wrong. Or I kind of always use the analogy that I was the throttle and my dad was the brake. 
Um, I used to have some big ideas of, of where we wanted to grow. And because of his experience and, and, and what he had seen during his farming career, my father always maybe slowed me down a little bit and made and challenged me to make good decisions so that we didn't go backwards. And so that conservative approach um, lent itself well, uh, especially after going through the 80s and stuff. But at the same time, I can also see where, in hindsight, that conservativeness maybe cost us a little bit by not jumping on some opportunities when they presented themselves. Hmm. But all I can say is our family's always made the emphasis of, of, of uh, passing the baton on to the next generation and it, helping that next generation or paying it forward, so to speak. And Glenn, I know you had a specific incident on, on your end that, that caused you to think uh, even more seriously about succession. Can you tell us about that and kind of how you uh, how that changed your perspective on things? Uh, yes, um, I won't go into great detail on it, but uh, four years ago, um, I had an accident, um, had a, a life-threatening accident. I was uh, riding my Harley Davidson and I hit a deer. Uh, deer ran in my path and I collided with it and I spent uh, two weeks in a hospital and I had I missed a lot of the fall harvest in the fall of uh, 2015 and that made me realize that how how quickly um, your life can change and and I thought to myself even more so at that time even though we had other things in place of of um, you know what would happen if I die and so you know, I know there's a lot of farmers that farm into their 80s and 70s, and you know they're, you know they they they're successful at it. But I think what what I've been looking at now is trying to make sure that there's a game plan in place and that there's the right people in place and the plan is in place, so that if something unfortunate happens, um, everything continues on as normal. And and that last that fall when that occurred. Uh, that was the first fall that Jason was back from college, and so he was the entire tillage team that year, and the rest of my crew did the harvesting, and so um, you know that was a it was it was really um, refreshing for me to know, or and it was a proud moment for me to know that I was able to sit and watch and see the work getting done, even though I wasn't in the combine, so to speak. Um, everything progressed on. We, when that occurred, though, we found weak links in the in the chain, so to speak. Uh, for example, I discovered, or we realized that I was the only person who was able to sign checks. For example, um, we we changed that. Um, we just there's some different standard operating procedures that we became aware of that that we needed to improve upon. And so it was a learning experience, and we wanted to learn from that. But, you know, it's, I, I think all of us need to, to go through that exercise and just say, what happens if something happens to whoever that person is? You know, um, in every operation, there's usually a leader or a, a key person who makes the management decisions or has a role that can't be replaced. And I guess my, my emphasis is to, to uh, work on those areas so that uh, in case something happens, you can you can continue on. I want to pause right here just to take a minute to thank Granular for sponsoring this mini series on tools to manage the modern farm business. The opportunities that come with increased access to technology and data are changing the way we farm. Here right now from Gina Harms of Cleet Farms in 
Gearing Nebraska on how they're using technology to make better, more profitable decisions. We are a family operation and we grow through relationships with other farmers or relationships with other people. And that's how we found Granular. They kind of stand out from the competition because they're more than willing to help. I feel like they have the same values that I do and they really get you up and running before you even start. So it's really set up to be farmer friendly. The features that are in Granular help us make better decisions. So when we're looking at that information and we're making a plan for next year, we're much more confident in what's going to work because we're able to track what's going on. The biggest selling point to us was you can go by crop, you can go by field. We can look at how much it costs us for fertilizer per bushel. So there's a lot of value there. You can easily figure your break even on the different crops. Granular is an agriculture software company dedicated to building stronger, more profitable farms. With web and mobile apps grounded in advanced data science technology, Granular, an independent subsidiary of Corteva AgriScience, helps farmers make data-driven, real-time business and agronomic decisions with greater confidence. Check out their digital solutions to help you better manage your farm at granular.ag. Big thank you to Granular for sponsoring the Future of Agriculture podcast. And if I understand correctly, you that prompted you to set up actually a, a folder. Can you tell us about the folder? Yeah, I, I named it the uh, the when I die folder, not the if I die folder, but when I die folder. Um, I have an advisory board who who encouraged me to do that. Um, I put in place an advisory board for our farming operation or for our whole operation, our entities, I guess. And it's a group of people who. We meet three times per year for about a half a day at a time, and I stay in contact with these people throughout the year, but it's a, it's a group of professionals outside of agriculture who give me advice on how to grow and operate a business. And um, on that team, I have a, a retired CEO, a retired CFO, three attorneys, and my current accountant. And when we meet, that group joins together along with my wife and Jason. And we sometimes in, invite guests into that meeting as well. We've invited our bankers in. Uh, we've in, invited um, some sales support people along into it just to kind of expose them to the, the talent, the caliber of the professionals that I have behind me or in addition to my, my family and, and my team and my operations. So, when you see the entire uh, group that that's helping to guide us, uh, it gives them more confidence that, that good decisions are being made as a group. Hmm. But in the but in the when I die folder, you know when when uh, when tragedy occurs or a death unexpected death occurs, you there's a there's a lot there are many issues that come up that you don't have the answers to, and you know just have knowing where things are, who to contact who not to contact. You know, there's just a, um, a whole host of, of questions that come to mind. If you, if, and if, I think that list of the content of that folder is different for different for everyone. And I think you just want to spend some time making that checklist of what are all the things that would need to be addressed from a personal or a business perspective if you unexpectedly died. And it's part of succession planning. It's part of estate planning. I think it ties in together with both of them. So I don't know which which one it more emphasizes, but I, I think um, it ties in into a discussion that's that's very important to have. 
Absolutely. And with, with the modern tools you have now, as far as, you know, we talk a bunch on the show about, about data and collecting data and analyzing data and, and the amount of data that's out there. Um, do, do the tools you're using now, do they make it easier uh, because, to transfer knowledge, say to Jason um, in, in succession because you have them available or does that really play into the succession plan at all? Um, I, I give Jason credit for this. Um, recently, uh, we made a decision to move to a new piece of software called Granul- through Granular that allows us to analyze our operation at a different level from a different perspective. And again, I've, I've always been a big believer in hands-on. And so through that software, as just one example, um, he has hands-on experience working with the budgets. We're looking at marketing, getting a, a hands-on understanding of, of the cost and all of the decisions that have to be made in, in managing a farm. And, and so I'm hoping I'm learning from it as well too, a great deal. He's more familiar with it than I am, but I can give him the information that I want included in it and he inputs it. And then we're going to be able to pull better reports back or just have better analysis as we, um, as we just, you know, move forward and, and plan for the future. Yeah, I'd agree. It's, it's a great tool for analyzing your field costs and everything down to the even bushel level. So it's great. Great tool for that. The breakdown, the, the ability to break down uh, all input costs down to, to whatever unit you want to analyze is very, very beneficial. And hopefully we'll be able to take that down to a level where we can actually look at profitability levels for specific farms and make a decision whether, you know, we, we continue to farm it or not, or we let it go or if we need to change the rental rates on, on those to be make, to make it profitable. Um, it just gives us better detailed information. You know, that, what, what that brings to the table is a little bit different than let's say what just the financial side through QuickBooks brings us, um, through our accountant, who's also a business planner. Um, we, we rely heavily on, on that professional help for the financials. And we've got to a stage now where the, at the end of each year, we have consolidated financials that are taken to an accrual level of accounting. And when we, when we have that completed, we invite our three different lenders to the table all at the same time. And in, in essence, they sit on one side of the table, we sit on the other side. And my uh, accountant, who's our CPA business planner, uh, shares with them the hard numbers of what actually transfer or transpired during the year. And our role for Jason and I is to basically share with them the plan for the future. So it makes a nice conversation. And, and with that, that open door policy, so to speak, it allows our lenders all to hear the same story at the same time. And they all can, are offered, offer the opportunity to ask questions of anything that they see. And so it's, it's a great partnership. It's, it's a good, it's just a good, uh, it's a good feeling to know that, you have uh, that level of support behind everyone. Great. I do want to talk a little bit more about uh, about your advisory board because I think that's interesting. Is that something that you picked up from from other farmers doing the same thing? I had never heard of that before. Um, I I attended the uh, the TPAP program down in uh, Austin, Texas, a couple years ago. 
And um, I, I know some of the top managers that went to that executive program, they were utilizing some type of an advisory board. Uh, personally, I, I sit on uh, a bank advisory board, and I'll be the first to admit that I don't know anything about banking, but I, I have an opinion about what I see and observe. And I, I kind of took that same concept to having an, an advisory board for our farm. Um, uh, for example, um, you know, I wanted to have a CEO to say, okay, from a from an executive standpoint, how would you, when you look at our operation, what should we be focused on? Or from a CFO perspective, what what using the analytics of of how you would be analyzing or looking at another company, how are we stacking up to that? And so, um, I didn't want anybody in agriculture on the advisory board. I've got agronomists and other. I have enough connections and contacts within the industry that I, and I'm a certified crop advisor myself. Um, I, I really don't need much advice agriculturally. I, I feel very confident in what we're doing. However, when it comes to growing a business, managing a company, uh, there are other professionals out there that, that are much more experienced than what I am. And so I'm relying on their experience. And, and from the legal side, I rely on on our attorneys and stuff through all of the their experiences of what are some of the road the p- potholes in the road so to speak of what what do we need to to avoid and so i i want them to be telling me the things i should be thinking about that i'm not aware about you know that that i'm not aware of um you know i know what i know but i don't know what i don't know and so i kind of rely on the advisory board to to point out things that i should be focused on um so it, yeah, that's been one of the benefits of 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 that kind of a, of training down there at, at TPAP, and it's besides networking with a lot of a lot of great professionals in agriculture, um, it's a good good learning experience, and I intend for Jason to go through that in a few years when he's a little bit older. Great. Yeah, we had uh, Dick Whitman on the show uh, back in January talking about TPAP. He's been really involved in that as well, um, and I, I think it's such a, a great program. It sounds like a a program that really is needed. I mean, the type of operation that Jason is taking over today is uh, worlds different than I would think the one you took over when you were his age, um, just in terms of the, the the size and scope and the amount of entities that, and I, I think that's uh, common in a, in a lot of different uh, farming operations. And so a program like that seems, seems much needed. Yes. I've, I've been through several of the sessions that Dick Whitman has taught and, and he, Everything that he he preaches or teaches, <laughs> depending on how you want to listen to it, he he definitely is an expert in in the field and in that whole program. I would strongly encourage if I could, it, I guess, of any any uh, experience that I've had in the last ten years, for example, that's that's made a an, an impact on me. Um, that TPAP program is one that any per young professional in, in agriculture. Um, that that wants to manage or operate a farm, uh, I would strongly encourage them to to go through that. Um, they expose you to a lot of different levels, a lot of different types of decisions, at many different levels, and the interaction you, with other people, you you start realizing the diversity of, diversity of agriculture, and at the same time, the common questions, the common problems, uh, experienced by everyone. Um, you know, it's it's just very. It's not unusual for for people to have have questions in regards to how to deal with those situations, 
And most of the time, I think in, in my conversations with the people that I met down there, a lot of it deals with human resource issues, uh, dealing and working with people. Uh, you can't spend enough time uh, learning how to interact and communicate and, and just all of the, the soft skills that, that's necessary to work with people. Hmm. Absolutely. Well, one of the common sort of sentiments that, that seems to be out there is, you know, with, with how unique farming is versus other businesses, um, you know, obviously there's a lot that, that applies and maybe there's some that doesn't apply. Does that ever become an issue with you and your advisory board, not being from, from uh, farming backgrounds, you, you know, maybe not understanding the differences that's unique to farming businesses versus other businesses? Um, I think that diversity or that uniqueness is actually an advantage. Um, I really feel that their um, what they bring to the table, um, it, it, the experience that they have, it's 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 priceless. You really can't put a value on the experience of people who are who have been through the mill, so to speak. And the the people on my advisory board, other than two of them, I'm sorry, three of three of them are younger than than what I am, and the rest of them are older than me. And so for the older members on my advisory board, I kind of take the approach of saying, okay, when you were my age, what would you do differently? Or looking at where I'm at at my stage in life, what, what should I be focused on? And one of the things I really think is important for a young person today is to find that individual, that mentor or that person who you look up to or a successful person um, that, that's having success in whatever field it is to seek them out and to, to really um, not mimic them, but really find out what they're doing right that, that, that is, is allowing them to be successful and ask them the question, if you were my age, what would you do differently? Because trust me, hindsight is, is 20-20. And if I could go back 15, 20 years, um, obviously we have a crystal ball right now of what that looks like, but there are a few things that, you know, we would, we would probably do differently, but at the same time, looking at where I started and, uh, honestly starting to farm in the eighties, we had nothing. We were, we were in a survival mode in the, in that time frame, which did shape and, and guide me a little bit for how we, how we've managed through the years. But at the same time though, there were some things maybe we should have, have done differently, but we did all that we could do all that we could afford at the time. And, um, you know, I really don't have any regrets. Is there added pressure? And this is this is for both of you. Is is there added pressure when when you're in an operation that's been around for so many generations before you? Uh, in that, you know, they, they have managed to to have the business survive for so long, doing what they have done in the past. To try something new might risk, you know, it might put that at risk. Is there? Do you feel that pressure on a daily basis, or what's that feel like? I don't say I necessarily feel the pressure, but I know there is an expectation to, you know, continue on the business and keep it successful. I mean, you don't want to run it to the ground, be that guy that does that. So Mm -hmm. Uh, what about versus, you know, versus your peers? Do you think maybe uh, you have a little bit more of a responsibility to, to your livelihood because of that? Yeah. Yeah. I agree with that. Um, You know, running a family business is a lot different than, obviously working for somebody else under another company. So you, yeah, there is that kind of pressure there. For my expectation, I guess, um, 
I, I, yeah, I, I can honestly say there probably was pressure, more pressure put on me um, when I was young. Um, I was the only son. My father was the only son. My grandfather was the only son in the family. Um, I was lucky. I have two sons and a daughter. And I, one thing that I did not do, I did not put pressure on our kids to have to be part of this, of this organization. Um, um, I, I appreciate anybody that, that has that desire to have their kids come back. But I've always said that if it's their decision to come back, they'll be more successful than if you force them or you make them. And so that I was pleased that, I mean, I honestly, when he was in college, I honestly did not think that I was going to have a son coming back to the operation the way he started out in school. But I was lucky that, you know, a couple years into his education, he, um, he made that choice. And so that, that was good. Great. Well, as you two look to the future of your operation, um, you know, how do you see it looking differently um, as, uh, as, as Jason takes on more and more responsibility? Um, I'll use this analogy. Right now, I may be the CEO or president of the board, <laughs> president of the, of the group, but um, my role, I want to become more like the chairman of the board. Um, I'll, I'm going to continue to um, delegate and relinquish responsibilities as, as times, you know, as, as I see fit. Um, I'm not going to be one of the farmers that farms until they drop. Um, I'll be involved but I do not want to be managing at this level where I'm at today, 10 years from now. Um, I just don't see that happening. I just don't want that to be happening. I would, life's too short not to enjoy it. And I would encourage everyone to have, make sure that they have good uh, work-life balance, um, you know, be, between your family, your faith, your farm. Um, if you can balance all that out, you're going to have a good future. Yeah, I think you've done a good job of kind of relinquishing some of those responsibilities onto me in a gradual manner. I mean, you haven't put too much on my shoulders that I couldn't handle at one time. So I think you've done a good job of that. So we can be expecting uh, more tweets from Glenn in the future because he's he's going to have more time on his hands. Oh, yeah. <laughs> more time on Ag Twitter. Twitter famous. Yeah, something like that. <laughs> great I, I will admit it has been a joy to uh, meet many people on twitter and uh I, i've always enjoyed the fact that when you go places and and people seek you out and say hey i follow you on twitter that's that's a real compliment to me absolutely well thank you both this has been this has been great perspective and i i really appreciate it. it's 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 uh always fun to get kind of a family business on here okay, thank you tim thank you Thank you once again to both Glenn and Jason Newcomer for being on the show. Make sure you go to their website and learn more about their farming operation. It's actually a fantastic website. You really should check it out. Newcomerfarms.com, N-E-W-C-O-M-E-R-F-A-R-M-S, so newcomerfarms.com. And give Glenn a follow on Twitter, at Glenn underscore Newcomer. Uh, You'll be glad you did. You'll learn a lot about what's going on at the farm level there. Enjoy following him on Twitter and really enjoyed that conversation. You can also expect sort of this farm profitability conversation to remain an important component of this show. I think if we're going to talk about the future of agriculture, we need to talk about not only the innovations, but how also they're making the farmer more successful because our success ultimately is really hinging 
on their success. And um, I think it's an important conversation and a lot of interesting ideas surrounding how do we help the farmer be more profitable. Also, I really want to thank once again, Granular for being such a fantastic partner uh, for the Future of Agriculture podcast. This episode would not be possible without them. And really, this show would not exist without uh, partnerships with fantastic companies like Granular. So make sure you go check them out. And uh, if you wouldn't mind, maybe give them a, a tag on social media, thanking them for being a supporter of this show. Thanks so much. I really appreciate your time, your attention, and your commitment uh, to, to remaining intellectually curious and entrepreneurial when it comes to solving problems related to our food system. We will be back next week. Hey, thanks again for listening to the Future of Agriculture podcast. If you like what you heard here today, I'd love to connect with you further. Go over to futureofag.com. That's futureofag.com. And let me know a good email address for you so we can keep in touch. Also, you'll be able to check out a ton of bonus content on the blog while you're there. Otherwise, make sure you're subscribed to the show so you can catch another fascinating ag innovator here next week. Thank you.